uh, hopefully uh, everybody uh, that's here got their alarm clock set properly, right? Now, the test will be uh, when I get done speaking and then we sing a couple more songs together and we go to leave and we see somebody walking in the doors. That will be the test right there. So hopefully everybody got it figured out today. Uh, I know that it's spring break and the summer traveling. So if you're worshiping with us online this morning, uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, a buddy of mine who's on staff at a church in North Carolina, so he's already an hour ahead. And last night, you know, I was sitting there thinking, okay, I'm doing the math. Okay, it's 1020 here. He's texting. So really it's 1120 there, but really it's like 1220 in the morning there before he goes to bed. But he texted me this morning. He said, man, your pastor didn't do you any favors. He gave you time change Sunday. And I replied back and said, I will take anything I can get. Uh, we love Jeff and love his preaching. Our family loves their family. Uh, I am so thankful that he has asked me uh, to fill in for him today. And so be praying for him as he heads on a little trip later this later today. Pray for their safety as they're traveling. Uh, and I'm glad that you're here today, whether you're here in the room, you're watching online. Thank you so much for making First Baptist Conroe in week four uh, of this series. He is the, the seven I am statements that Jesus made as we're marching uh, towards Easter Sunday. And we'll conclude that series on that Sunday. We're looking at the fourth statement today. So if you've got your Bible and you want to open it up, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week, John chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 11 in just a couple of minutes. I do want to add a note really quick. Uh, the federal government may be sending, may have already sent some of you at what they're calling an economic impact payment. Uh, and so if you are blessed enough to receive one of those kind payments and you have not lost your job, not lost your income over the course of last year, and you say, federal government, I really don't need all this money that you're sending me. There are people in our community who do need it, uh, and we can help get that to them. And so our benevolence ministry has been uh, fast and furious processing requests for rent, uh, electricity bill payments, uh, water bill payments that people have disconnect notices for. Some of the same people needing help uh, are now paying plumbers and sheetrockers and painters to fix their messed up homes after uh, the crazy freeze storm that we had that really uh, almost paralyzed our entire state uh, for just a little while. So we are, we've been blessed by you, church family, some others in our community who have given to our benevolence fund. And so if you receive one of those deposits in your bank account magically at some point this week, and you can remember this, uh, consider giving some of that to help others in need. I know it's a tremendous blessing that our church family, where we're situated here in downtown Conroe, we get all kinds of requests for different types of help uh, from people in our community and from people in our own church. And our Benevolence Committee uh, does a great job reviewing those requests, being sure that as many people get help uh, as needed. Uh, and so we are able to do that and help folks uh, tie them over a month or two at a time, depending on uh, what's available. So thank you all for that, being generous in that area and continuing to do so. Uh, I've got a, a nine-year-old boy and a seven-year-old daughter. They're sitting right over here to my left, your right, and they love uh, the Home Alone movies. Uh, some of you may have seen the Home Alone series, Kevin McAllister and his antics uh, as he's left Home Alone in Chicago and then in Home Alone 2, uh, where he hops on an airplane uh, after getting lost from his family in the airport. It's a funny how on Time Change Sunday, I'm talking about a story where failed alarm clocks uh, caused a massive disaster for this family. Uh, so the McAllister family was loading up at Christmas time at the beginning of the movie uh, to go to Miami. They were gonna escape the snow and the wind in the city of Chicago and go to Miami for Christmas, celebrate Christmas there as a family. They're in the Chicago airport. Uh, Kevin, I believe, is, is, is trying to get his camcorder uh, 
you know, you used to not have a little bitty phone with a really awesome, powerful camera. You had like a big like brick that you put batteries in and small cassettes and you could film on that. And you'd have your, your dad probably had like dozens or two dozen sets of tapes of, of all your ball games and all that. So he's trying to fix his little recorder and get the right batteries in it. And he gets separated from his family. And he looks up and sees a man from behind who's dressed, I believe, like his uncle. I think it was his uncle that he thinks he's following his uncle. And his family goes one direction. They get on their plane to Miami. This is set in a time before 9-11 when like, things were very different in airports than they are now. He get, the family gets on the, on the plane to go to Miami, and Kevin ends up on a plane to New York City. And so Home Alone 2 Subtitle, Lost in New York City. Kevin followed the wrong leader. He followed who he thought was his uncle. When he gets to the plane, the guy turns around. It's not his uncle. His eyes get big at the same time. His mom's, she realizes on the plane, they don't, they're one short again, the second time this has happened to this family. And then the rest of the movie goes on and, and Kevin has all kinds of fun uh, with the two bad guys in New York. But Kevin followed the wrong leader and, and got to the wrong destination. He followed someone who he was not originally created, intended to follow. Uh, more tragically, uh, in 1974, a group of people started following a man named Marshall Applewhite. Uh, he became the leader of a group you may have heard of. Uh, in the mid-90s, there was a group that, that gained popularity for all the wrong reasons named, named the Heaven's Gate Cult. They thought that they were going to get on a UFO and go meet extraterrestrial life uh, behind the comet Hale-Bopp. They believed there was a UFO following in the trail of that comet, and they were going to do this ritual uh, and end their earthly lives and join these aliens inside this spaceship trailing behind this comet. And so from 1974 to 1996, Marshall Applewhite and some of his followers began to seek ways to connect with alien life, uh, which is not possible. Sorry, Marshall. They developed a cult following on that and even began renting a 9,200-square-foot mansion just outside of San Diego. They paid $7,000 cash each month uh, for that. They pulled their resources together, rented this home, and then a little over a year later, 39 of them in 1997 all took this concoction together and ended their earthly lives because they thought that Marshall Applewhite had this divine revelation that nobody else had that there was life on other planets and they were going to go meet that life in this spacecraft behind this comet, Hillbop. So just like Kevin followed the wrong person and didn't get to the right destination, these 38 individuals and many others over the years followed the wrong leader. And for 38 of them, uh, plus Marshall Applewhite, it cost them their lives. Uh, they devoted themselves so fully to believing that what he said was true when it was the exact opposite of the truth that ended up costing them their lives. And lots of, of pain and sorrow and heartache that was all over the news. Uh, I was a, a, a young child at that point, uh, in my early teenage years, I guess not technically a young child at that point, but I remember those stories on the news about the Heaven's Gate cult and kind of how shocking that discovery was of all of those people there. And you can go read about it. You can search Heaven's Gate cult on Google and find out some more unique information about some of the things all the way down to how they were all dressed the same, they all looked the same, acted the same, bought in the same belief system, and then on this day in 1997, all of their earthly lives ended. And, and that's just one sign of, of a number of signs in our world that there is, there is so much brokenness, 
Um, there's so much chaos. Uh, there's obviously a lack of a joy and abundance in this world, but I think that some of us bring those things into this room today. I think that individually we bring an amount of brokenness, uh, some chaos, a lack of joy, a, a life that's not being lived in full abundance the way that God designed us to, because we can at times, and maybe right now is one of those times in your life, we can at times follow the wrong leaders. Uh, you and I can think about times in our lives where we chose our own desires over God's where we allowed someone or something else to lead us, to, to, to inform our decision-making, to, 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 to show us a path to take, a, a job to, to go take, a, a friendship to pursue, a relationship to pursue, whatever it might be that was outside of God's design for us. I think, too, that we seek life, like these people in the Heaven's Gate cult were seeking a, a different type of life. I think sometimes we can seek life from something or someone that, that does not give us life. And so this morning, we're going to see in John chapter 10 that thankfully Jesus clearly tells us that He is here, that He has come to give us peace, to give us wholeness, to give us joy, to give us that abundant life that God has designed for us to live out. And this whole year, we've been, we've been talking about uh, bringing peace to chaos, Started that a couple years ago with the vision for the church that we would be a, a church family that would engage in 10,000 transforming relationships with individuals in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our community uh, for the hope of, of and, and the purpose of bringing peace into chaos, helping restore what's broken, helping point people to a person of joy, a person of peace that we know is Jesus Christ. For many of you, if not most of you, that person that person, Jesus, is your, is your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe for some of you, He's not yet, but God is working in your heart to bring you to that place. And, and the statement that He's going to make today, I think, will help us answer a couple of questions that I think are really important for every person in this room, whether you know Christ or not, to answer. Whether you're watching online and you know Christ or not, I think it's very, very important for us to answer two questions at the end of our time together this morning. But let's look at Jesus Fourth, and one of the most shocking I am statements that he makes, he's going to end up being, being labeled a demon uh, because of what he's about to say. He's going to end up being labeled insane because of what he's about to say. So let's, let's look in John chapter 10. Uh, starting in verse 11, we'll read through verse 18, and then we'll come back and talk about what the, the phrase, the good shepherd, really means and what Jesus did for us. Jesus is following up his words that Pastor Jeff read last week in verse 10 about the thief coming to steal, to kill, and destroy Jesus promises us that, that He came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. And then He says this in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He, talking about the hired hand, flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge 
I received from my Father. And that shocking fourth I am statement that Jesus makes as we continue this series led, as you see in the verses right after that, led to those around Jesus who didn't believe what he was saying to be true. It led them to, to label him as a demon and label him as an insane person and began this process where, where so many would turn against him and ultimately lead to his crucifixion. So what was it about this statement that was so shocking? What was it about this statement that would awaken the disciples, the, the closest followers of Jesus, their senses uh, to be more fully obedient to him and, and would cause them to go to the length that they did, 11 of them to go to the length that they did uh, to share the good news of Jesus Christ uh, after his death and resurrection? Well, first thing we need to look at is the meaning of the phrase, the good shepherd. Uh, there'll be a, a couple slides in a minute. One will say what the word good means and one will say what the word shepherd means. But before we look at those slides, the, even the word the is important. You think, Alan, why is that little three-letter word that's just right there in front of this phrase, why would that be important? It's not, it's not so much what that word says. It's what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I am a good shepherd. He didn't say, I'm one of many good shepherds or one of a few good shepherds. He, he definitively said, I am the good shepherd. There, and, and, he, and he repeats that or reiterates that uh, halfway through the passage that we read in verse, uh, where is it? Verse, uh, there will be one flock. Verse 16, there will be one flock and one shepherd. So there was a, a definitive nature to this statement that Jesus is making. He's saying, I am different than anyone else. There is nobody else that's like me. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And good in this sense means beautiful, fair, ideal. It doesn't just mean like, not like you'd go to someone saying, you're, you're a good friend or uh, you're a good son or you're a good student, you're a good golfer, you're a good cook. I don't think anybody's ever told me that I'm a good cook. For that matter, I don't think anybody's ever told me that I'm a good golfer either. But maybe you've, been, you've told somebody they're good. Maybe you said, hey, he's a good person. You know, she's a good lady. But there's this, this intrinsic significance to Jesus describing himself, calling himself, declaring, I am the good shepherd. Good in this sense means perfect, ideal, something for you and I to follow after, to model our lives after. Think about back in Genesis 1 and God's creating the earth. God's creating the different elements and the different things a part of creation at the end of each day. He saw what he had created and he said what? He said, it is good. You know, we talk about bringing peace to chaos and Jeff did a message a couple of, the beginning of that, that vision time about the, the word shalom, meaning peace, the Hebrew word for, for this, this wholeness, this, this sense of goodness that was in the world before sin came into the world and brought brokenness and death and suffering with it. There was a goodness to the world that, 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 was, that was godly, that was perfect, that we should all strive for, an ideal for us to, to model our lives after. There was this innate perfection. Like Jesus didn't have to live a perfect life to be perfect. He came to the world perfect. And so you and I are called to model our lives after him. And then the word shepherd would have had a great significance for two reasons. Obviously, it was a very, very practically significant word because many of the people around him would have either been a shepherd or known a shepherd. And that was a very common business, a very common trade, a very common skill uh, during this time in the world and, and where Jesus was ministering. 
Uh, but more importantly than that, for those that, that grew up in the Jewish tradition, the word shepherd carried a significant meaning in relation to, to Yahweh God, in relation to this heavenly Father. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, Jacob says, God has been my shepherd all my life long. Psalm 23, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, the prophet says, God will tend to his flock, talking about the Jewish people, like a shepherd. And so the Jewish people would have been looking for a leader, would have been looking for a king. They would have been looking for someone to come and give them life. And for them, that person was Jesus Christ. Now, some of them, many of them didn't realize that. They were expecting this earthly political ruler, this person with great might to come in and take over the world, literally. But what they, didn't, what they, what they missed was Jesus was coming to take over the world eternally. He was coming to establish a, a spiritual kingdom that would last forever, not an earthly kingdom that could be taken down by, by another more powerful king or kingdom. And so as we think about Jesus being a shepherd, think about him as a leader. Think about him as a king. Think about him as someone who gives you life. In the same way a shepherd in the field leads the sheep to water, to pasture, give, literally gives them life. Now, sheep are not the smartest individuals on the planet, not the smartest living things on the planet. And so they need the shepherd to help show them where to get food, where to get water, how to not get eaten by a wolf, all of those things that, that a sheep may have to do to stay alive. And so they were looking for someone, the Jewish people were looking for someone to shepherd them. And here's Jesus declaring, I am the good shepherd. But, but it wasn't just what Jesus said uh, that makes that statement so significant. It was also what Jesus did as the good shepherd uh, that makes that statement so significant for us. And the first thing that the good shepherd does for us is he dies for the sheep. Verses 11 through 13 talk about this as Jesus says, the good shepherd in the last half of verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. So he referred to this hired hand, someone that doesn't own the sheep. The sheep are not theirs. So they're not fully invested with the sheep. So when the wolf comes, what's going to happen? Either I give up my own life or the sheep die. They're not my sheep, so I don't care. So I'm going to leave. And he's making reference here to false teachers. People who, who, who preach a message that maybe sounds like the truth, maybe sounds like something that Jesus was teaching, but was not salvation. It was not the message that Jesus came to live and fulfill and ultimately die on the cross and then be risen again on the third day. It was not that message. And so he's referring to some people that might have been listening to him. He's referring to some people who might have known some of his disciples, people that were right there in his day and age that were, that were not believing the truth about who Jesus was. And he's saying, look, those people don't know you. Those people don't care about you. Those people are not willing to lay down their life for you. And then obviously we have the full scope of New Testament history and beyond to look at. He said, he told them, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And on a day that we call Good Friday in just a few weeks, we will commemorate a time when the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. And he did so not as a martyr, but he did so as a substitute. See, he took on a death that you and I were supposed to die. He took on a punishment that you and I deserve to receive so that you and I could have life and have it abundantly, as he says in, in verse 10. 
So the shepherd, the good shepherd, dies for the sheep. The second thing the good shepherd does is he knows the sheep. And I can tell you about, about people that I know of. I, I use this example because of the last names of these people, but I, I know of Neil Armstrong. I've never met him, but I know some things about him. I know what he did. I can go find some information about him. So I, I know of him. Uh, I know Shelby Armstrong. She's not related to me, but we went to high school together. We played tennis together. We went to church together. I know her parents. Her parents know my parents. I know her younger sister. They know my younger sister. I, I, I know some more. I know more about her than I know about Neil Armstrong. Now, Candace's name hasn't always been Candace Armstrong, but for the purpose of this illustration, I know Candace Armstrong uh, better than any of you know her, better than anybody on this earth knows her. That's the kind of, of knowing that Jesus is talking about when he says he knows you. Now, that's two sides of the coin on that, though. Because Jesus knows us so well, so intimately, it can be kind of scary to think that Jesus knows everything there is to know about us. Uh, because I'm guessing that some of you, if not many of you, would not want everybody knowing everything there is to know about you. I, I know I would not want everybody knowing everything there is to know about me. But I sure am glad that Jesus knows everything about me and he loves me just the same. And I hope that you're glad uh, that Jesus knows everything there is to know about you and he loves you just the same. And you could add to that list of things that you don't want someone to know about you and Jesus would still go to the cross for you. That list could grow next week, next month, next year, and he would still be willing to go to the cross for you, to lay down his life for you as a sheep because he knows you. So Jesus knows the sheep intimately. He knows how to care for us. He knows our needs. He knows this morning that with several hundred people on our campus and others listening online in both of our services, he knows that there are thousands of needs, thousands of heartaches, of, of, of desires, of, of people seeking God's will, God's direction for their lives. And he wants you uh, to follow him and his leadership and his guidance. He wants you to look to him as someone to model your life after and share that same message with those around you. And that's the third thing that he does. Besides dying for the sheep and besides knowing the sheep, he also wants others and desires for others to come into the flock. See, he realized very quickly. I mean, you don't, you don't even have to get one verse removed from Jesus' fourth I am statement. I am the good shepherd to see that people didn't like Jesus. People didn't like what he said. Some of them didn't like what he did. They didn't like the way he did it. They did not think that he was the Messiah. Many of those people were Jewish religious leaders who, who, who thought they knew everything there was to know about God's word from the Old Testament, and yet they missed what I think would be the most obvious thing ever. Here's this person performing miracles, doing these teachings, living this sinless life, and yet they're missing this truth about who Jesus was. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm not here just for the Jews, not just to redeem them. I'm here for everyone. I'm here for the Gentile as well. And he begins to teach the disciples through parables and through stories about what it means to carry the good news to the Gentiles. And the early church, Peter and Paul and others, establishing these churches all around the world, uh, begin to reach those, their known world began to reach those who were outside of a Jewish tradition, those that would be described and labeled as Gentiles. And today that the church is growing in, in almost every language and tongue in the world and their efforts to get the Bible translated into unknown languages and, and reach unreached people groups and do all those things because we have continued as believers to seek 
to bring others into the flock, those that are not yet a part of Jesus' flock of sheep. So not only does the shepherd lay down his life for the sheep and he knows the sheep, he calls others and draws others into the flock, but he also, the good shepherd also takes up his life again. And the best thing I can say or the most important thing, the most significant thing I can say about this in verses 17 and 18 where he says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He chose to give up his life for the sheep. But then because of the authority that God gave to him, he chose to raise again on the, on the third day, a day that we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday. We sing the song, He Lives. Uh, no, other, no other religion, no other group of, of people that believe in a, in a Godhead or a deity that they claim to be true, no other religion can sing a song, He Lives, about their supposed Savior, except for Christians. Jesus Christ is alive today. Uh, that's something that even, even history, even those that are outside the Christian faith have written to that fact about the event surrounding the resurrection. Uh, you, you can go to other deities, you can go to their graves, you can go to their sites where their ashes were spread, or you can go to a place where their bones are kept, uh, but not Jesus Christ. The good shepherd is alive today, and, and that's how he's able to lead you and guide you and give you life today. Because he, he took the authority that God gave him and he rose again on the third day. And this is how the shepherd, just like last week with the door, and Jesus saying, I am the door. That door provides separation. Just the same way Jesus, the good shepherd, will shepherd, separate the sheep from the goats. Those who know God through Jesus and those who don't. And so this morning as we take a look at this passage and we, we see these four things. We know, maybe we understand that, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd has laid his life down for you and me. The good shepherd also knows the sheep. And you may be thankful this morning that, that God knows you and loves you so well. We know that the good shepherd brings other sheep into the flock and you at some point in your life, if you're a believer here this morning, at some point in your life, you were not a part of the flock. And God used someone or something to draw you into His fold. The Holy Spirit moved in your life. Maybe at a church, maybe at a camp, maybe at a vacation Bible school. For me, it was at a, a summer camp with royal ambassadors growing up in Northeast Texas. When the Holy Spirit stirred in my heart my need for a Savior. And then you see that the fourth thing that the Good Shepherd takes up His life again, that we can serve, we do serve a living God. We can follow a living God. So then what are the two questions that you must answer? And the first one is this. For those that, that, that say, Alan, I, I know that I know Jesus is my Savior. Okay, then the question you have to answer this morning, and don't take 10 seconds just to say yes or no and then move on, but really truly think about it. Take some time this afternoon. It'll be daylight a little longer today. Spend some time on your, your porch thinking about this question. Am I following the Good Shepherd? If the answer to that question is no, who are you following? Who am I following? What am I following? What, what are you following? And take some time and pray and ask God to, to remove that from your life, remove that desire from your heart or that, that, that person from you feeling like you have to follow their ways or what they say to do. It may be someone you know personally. It, it may be someone that you've never met, but you're just like, I want to be, be like them. So whatever they do, I'm going to do. 
But really, truly spend some time in God's word. Look at what Jesus did and follow after him. He's the good shepherd. He's perfect. He's worthy of us following him. Maybe the question isn't, am I following the good shepherd? Because you've never known the good shepherd. You've known of Jesus. You can tell me a little bit about him. You can tell me some things about he was born. We celebrate that at Christmas. He died. We celebrate that and rose again. We celebrate that at Easter. You know, he took some fish and some bread and, and, and made them into a, a huge meal. And there was all these leftovers that made other meals for people. You can tell me a few stories about him, but you don't know him personally. The question you have to answer is, am I in the flock? Am I in the sheepfold? Is Jesus my shepherd? Have I taken that, that, that time and a place in my life where I said, you know what, I, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And there's nothing in this world that can save me except for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus died for you and desires for you to join the flock. And I would say that there's no better time than, than right now to make that decision. To where you're seated right now in this room or online in your living room or, or hopefully you're not watching on the stream, but maybe listening along as you're driving in your car or whatever it is that you're doing. It's Tuesday afternoon and you're watching this after you've been traveling today. Whatever it might be, that right now, this moment will be a time we say, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. I want to trust him to save me. So as you have some time in the hours, the days ahead, think about those two questions. Am I following the good shepherd? Am I in the flock? A little over a year ago, Candace and I went with the second of two tour groups from the church to the Holy Land. Uh, it was, I mean, I can't really describe in words what a powerful experience it was. Uh, Candace spent uh, last couple weeks posting pictures as if that trip was happening this year since we came back to a vastly different world. Uh, we went to a wedding uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then I remember sitting in the reception of that wedding when the NBA season uh, basically was canceled or was delayed uh, to later in the summer. Uh, side note, I was at the wedding was the son of our, our doctor, Dr. Hallbauer here in town, and so I knew I felt kind of safe if the doctor was okay with having the wedding, we were good. Uh, little did we know that a Facebook post that came in my memories two days ago uh, where we said the church would be closed for a week, we wouldn't have activities for a week, and we thought we'd probably be okay, we'd have a plan. Uh, yeah, that was uh, obviously not uh, what ended up happening over the course of this past year. So just before all that happened, we're on this trip in Israel. We got a group of people from our church and others from our area that had connected with us to go on this trip. And one thing I noticed about all the different tour groups, and if you've been to Washington, D.C., if you've been to maybe Paris or Rome, if you've been to the Holy Land, any place where you can tour multiple sites within walking distance, you'll see these tour groups, 20 or 30 of them, enough to fit on a charter bus. They have a leader, uh, usually one who's very knowledgeable uh, about the area or the history behind it. Our tour guide, Aviv, was incredibly knowledgeable uh, most of the tour guides are wearing some kind of bright colored shirt, you know, red and white, wear, wears Waldo stripes, bright lime green, bright orange. They might have a flag sticking off of their backpack or some goofy hat because they don't want the people in their group to get lost. And I, and I figured out why. I figured out two things why it was important for us to not get lost from our group. One, um, we in Nazareth, when we were there for a couple of days, most of the people in the hotel and touring the different parts of Nazareth were Italian. I knew this because they spoke Italian. And that's how I figured that out. And so I didn't want to get stuck in their group because I don't know Italian. 
So I would be seeing all these things and they'd be pointing to them and I'd be like, I don't know what that is because I don't understand what you're saying. So it was important for our group to stay together because we all spoke the same language and we could understand. But, but even more important than that was we wanted to get back to the right spots. So let's say that there are 10 tour groups in an area and you're two in this area and nine of them go over here because there's something that's really popular over here. But Aviv, being the smart tour guy that he is, he takes us over here because this is the real location that something happened. Like this is the, this is the spot where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Like we got to see the spot where that happened. A uh, church was formed there. Uh, they excavated it. Now there's another church kind of elevated on top of it, a modern day church. And you can see under this elevated church, the old house where Peter lived with his mother-in-law and where Jesus healed him. And so it was really important for us to get the fullness of that trip, to take 12 days away from our, our family, to go with these people from our church and our community, to get the fullness of that trip for the 30 plus of us that were on that trip. It was really important for us to follow the right leader. Because if not, we'd get with someone who didn't speak the language, so we wouldn't know what we were seeing. Or we'd get somewhere where we would miss something incredible, something that God wanted us to see and experience. And I just wonder this morning if, if you are at a place right now in your life where you're not experiencing a full and abundant life through Jesus Christ because you're following the wrong thing. You're following the wrong person. You're on, on this big trip called life and there's all these things happening and you're mixed up and you're away from your leader. You're like Kevin in the airport. It looks like the right leader, but it's not him. You're like 38 people that thought that Marshall Applewhite had a revelation from God and he didn't. And it cost them their lives. Or, or, or you're like someone frantically trying to find the right group, the right place. So you can experience the trip, the tour in the most full and complete way possible. And so Jesus declares this, I am the good shepherd. You can follow me, Jesus is saying, because I am good, I am perfect, I am worthy of following. And I can be, Jesus declares, I can be your leader and your king. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. and Part of the song has a, has a portion of words that describe how Jesus shepherds us through the darkest valleys. How Jesus shepherds us through life. And I hope that when you sing those words that you're not just singing them because they're on the screen and we're being led to sing them because I hope that you sing them because you mean them. Because you really and truly want Jesus to be the king of your life, to be the leader of your life, to give you life that only He is capable of giving you. See, Jesus is the only true shepherd. And you and I know this is true because He said so, and then what He said, He did. He didn't just say He was going to die for His sheep. He did. He didn't just say He knows them. He truly knows us. We are seeing others being brought into the fold. And we know that Jesus is alive today. He took up his own life and then he raised it again. We know Jesus is the true shepherd because of what he said and what he did.